Good morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing along in our series in the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if you're visiting with us, that's what we've been looking at for uh, several weeks. And we're looking at the, the teachings of, of Jesus. And uh, today we come to a, a large section of, uh, of, uh, of His teaching. You know, it's, it's often been said that, that opposites attract. Uh, it's a phrase that we've all heard. Some of us may have uttered that from time to time, and, and some of us may live that. You know, take uh, Bethany and I, for instance. Uh, you know, there are several ways in which we are alike, but there are also many, and I would say for the most part, we are sort of the antithesis of one another. We're the opposite of, of each other. So much so that when I read her that statement on Friday, she disagreed with it. Everybody with me? Yeah, she disagreed with that statement, proving my point exactly. So, you know, I can sit down now. If I've won an argument with her, I never have to argue with her again. And I'll just, I'll stay uh, on, the, on a winning streak. But the, um, the, that word antithesis is, is what we're going to be talking about this morning. And that's a, that's, it's, a, it's a simple word. It sounds complex, but it is really, it's the exact opposite of something or someone. Another definition of it would be to... Uh, the state of two things that are directly opposite of each other. Now then, we are in the market for a, a new mattress. And she and I cannot agree on what type of mattress that, that we need. She wants the, you know, pillow top and the fluffy, duffy, marshmallowy cream when you, you lay down in it, you know, you sort of sink because the mattress kind of just rolls you in like a big burrito, okay? That's what, that's what she thinks we need. Now, I am having some back pain, okay? And so I'm looking for like a brick to sleep on at night. And so we can't agree on what type of mattress that we need to buy. We've been to mattress stores and we've laid on the different ones and I'll find one that I absolutely love and she can't stand it. Okay, and then uh, she'll find one that she absolutely loves, and I lay down and I feel the pain in my back immediately, and I don't want anything. I don't want anything to do with it. So I guess we're looking at a sleep number um, as soon as I hawk a kidney to pay for it. Um, but you know, there are other ways. There are other ways as well. One of her greatest thrills in life is to paint a room. Loves it, and there's always ongoing paint projects at my house. Okay, and she gets that look in her eye. You know what I'm talking about? She'll have one finished up, and I think, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I've long suffered another one. I've been patient, Lord. And then she has that look, and she says, guess what? I'm getting ready to paint another one. And it's to the point where it's just not even, it's not even worth arguing with her anymore because she's going to do it whether she wants to or not. She loves to paint, and I hate to paint. Okay? I don't want to do it. I don't enjoy doing it because I have to do all the taping and all the cutting in and she just and I'm doing the stuff that nobody wants to do she loves to paint and I hate to paint you know she loves Alabama football whereas I love UGA football okay uh, I'm comfortable talking in front of a crowd and Bethany that's her worst nightmare is to throw her up in front of a crowd and say okay speak you know 
And, you know, we can almost never, and some of you will, will relate to this one as well, we can almost never agree on a restaurant, okay? Going out to eat, we can't ever decide because I have certain tastes and, and, and she has certain tastes, okay? Another one, she's, she is very, very good looking and I'm, well, let's just move on. And, you know, while some of these things, you know, they're, they're cute and they're, they're kind of funny, there are some other antitheses that are in the world that are, are not quite as funny. When there is evil where there should be good. Insincerity where there should be truth. Hate where, where they should be love. You know, and it's, it's in this, this section of teaching that we're going to look at today, and it's just this tremendous block. It's the rest of chapter 5. In this, this block of teaching that we're going to look at, is, it's called kind of the, the, the new authority of Jesus, or another word is the antithesis of Jesus. And it's this, this section where you, you go through and read it, and it, it's sort of bound together by this antithesis formula where Jesus will say, you have heard it said, and then he'll follow that up with, but I, but I say to you. And it's as we go through this, you know, you sort of see that formula playing out as, as we read. And here's sort of the pattern right here. You have Jesus that uh, introduces an, an Old Testament passage with the you have heard it said. He then alludes to a, a, a current or, or popular interpretation or, or misinterpretation of that, of that passage. And then finally he comes back around with the, but now I'm telling you. And it's here that Jesus gives that sort of authoritative pronouncement and it's here that he he takes his audience to the intended meaning and application of the passage and it's in this this antithesis where jesus takes on six different topics and they're they're topics that we deal with on a, on a daily basis as he deals with anger lust divorce oaths revenge and and love and what you notice as we read through this passage is that, is that Jesus is, is, what he is doing is he is going literally to the heart of the matter. Because he sees that it's the heart where the problems come in in, in life. It's the heart that prompts all kinds of behavior. And so he's not going to be going so much at external actions. He's going to go deeper than that. He's going to be going right to the heart. And so as we read this passage, it's important to, to keep the context in mind. As we said several weeks ago, as we came to the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is drawing crowds and crowds of, of people to Him. And the people that He is primarily speaking to are, are His disciples. Okay? He is talking to the people that are, are coming to Him, that are wanting these, these words of He's wanting these words of life. He is speaking to a people that has been held spiritually captive by the religious leaders. You see, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, they had sort of mapped out what they considered, what they considered to be the, the proper course for attaining righteousness through their interpretation and through their, their application of the Scripture. And so Jesus is going to to take those things on. And he's going to point out several examples of how the, the Pharisees were doing this. He's not going to negate the Old Testament, but what he's going to do is he's going to set straight their, their, mis, 
interpretation of it. Jesus is offering a, a better interpretation. And he is relocating authority from within, from within the written text to himself. As a matter of fact, at the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in, uh, in chapter 7, 28 and 29, Matthew tells us that the, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he taught with authority unlike their leaders. Okay? The leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they came teaching in, in someone else's name, some other teacher's name, the name of Moses, but Jesus came and he taught with his own authority. Okay, and it's as we read through these things, you know, as he says, you've heard it said this, but now I'm telling you that. You can imagine to the religious leaders what that might sound like because they are the ones who are in power. They are the ones who seem to know all of the answers. And then all of a sudden you have this sort of this upshot carpenter, this sort of nomad who is walking around like a rabbi and he's making all these pronouncements and he is teaching with this, this power and this conviction, and the people are saying, man, this guy, he's different from our teachers. Because they teach under the authority of someone else, but he teaches with authority. And it's here that Jesus begins to rub the religious leaders wrong. And this sets in motion him going to the cross. Because he's going to have these encounters where he does things that they don't like, like heal on the Sabbath. Because he puts the love for, for mankind ahead of, of anything else. He is going to teach the people the correct ways of God. Which means the way the Pharisees have been teaching is, is not right. And so they're going to begin looking for ways to, to kill him. You see, the Pharisees were focus on external righteousness. They were focused on things that, that you could measure. You know, as long as you didn't murder, as long as you didn't commit adultery or a divorce or, or swear an oath or the like, you know, your, your righteousness could be measured. It could be seen. But Jesus says that true, authentic discipleship, true, authentic discipleship goes past what can be measured. It goes beyond what can be seen it goes to where the the heart is and it's here where jesus takes aim with his teaching so let's read this let's just read the rest of the chapter together we'll start in verse 17 and we'll read through 48 verse 17 do not think that i have come to abolish the law of the prophets i've come not to abolish but to fulfill for I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not the stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to the judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. 
So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on your way to court with him. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on grounds of unchastity causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely but carry out the vows that you made to the Lord. But I say to you, don't swear at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head. You cannot make one hair white or black. Let your yes be yes, or your no be no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to anyone who begs from you. And do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For it makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus goes right after a lot of the misunderstandings and the misinterpretations of, uh, of Scripture. He goes after a lot of what the Pharisees have been putting on people, a lot of the ways that the Pharisees have been living their life. To them, it's about an external holiness, a holiness that can be seen, a holiness that can be measured, that can be marked and, and, and counted on. But when Jesus makes the, these, you have heard it said, but I say to you statements, 
He's going after something deeper. He's going after the, after the heart. And he's teaching us what it means to be, to be true disciples. True disciples not only avoid murder, but are transformed so that they don't strip away the personhood and the identity of others through anger or, or defamation. That's a tremendous lesson for us to learn, is it not? How many times do we get angry with, with someone or some, some group of people and we let our anger and our tongues get away from us so much so that we, we take away the personhood. We take away the, the identity and we replace it with some derogatory term or, or, or phrase. But in 21 through 26, Jesus says a true disciple doesn't do that. A true disciple continually seeks reconciliation in offended relationships. A true disciple not only shuns physical acts of adultery, but are so committed to God's purpose for marriage that they have eyes and hands only for a spouse. You know, and that's, that's tough, okay? Because in, in 27, Jesus says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, okay? That can be measured. That can be seen. But Jesus is now taking aim. He is taking that teaching, and he is raising the standard. He's saying, wait a minute, this goes way beyond whether you just commit adultery or not. If you look at another person with lust in your heart, you're already guilty of adultery. What that reminds us of is that the people that we interact with, people that are not our, our spouses, it reminds us that those people too are, are children of God and that is how we are to look at them, not as some object for our internal pleasure. But they are the, the children of God. They are people who bear the, bear the, the image of God. True disciples discipline every thought and every action to be singularly focused on the spouse. True disciples not only respect the, the purity of the marital relationship, but have God's values for the original design for marriage and are unreservedly committed to its, to its permanence and to its, to its sanctity. True disciples don't give oaths in order to confirm their, their trustworthiness because their faithful lives repeatedly confirm the, reali the reliability of their words. Now, how many times have we, we heard somebody say, hey, I promise, I promise I'll do this, I promise I'll do that, I swear I'll be there. You ever heard somebody say, I, you know, I, I swear to God, or I swear on the life of my grandparents, or I swear on the life of my kids? Okay, as if that should make it stronger or make it more holy. But Jesus is saying, no, that's, that's not what this is about. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say yes to something, that's all that needs to be said. Okay, he's saying that we must be reliable. Okay, if we say no to something, 
Let that be it. He says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And the lives that we live confirm the reliability of our words. True disciples are, are so secure in their transformed kingdom identity that when they are wronged, they don't merely seek legal retribution, but they use these as opportunities to serve others, both good and evil, so that the reality of God's grace in their lives lures them toward the, the kingdom of heaven. True disciples not only love what God loves and, and hate what God hate, hates, but they have the renewed heart of God that enables them to love the world of sinners for whom Jesus gave his life. And again, this is, this is so Im important to us. Because if I'm not thinking as Jesus thinks, if I'm not acting like a, a true disciple, if my discipleship is simply based on how many times I go to church and how much money I give and how I look and all of that, if, it, if it's just on the, the, the public part of it, and those things are important, if it is, is just that, there's nothing that holds me in check internally in my heart and in my mind about what I think of others. Okay, And that's where I can make it us and them. Okay? That's where I can make it me against someone else. You see, but those of us that are, are followers of Jesus, those of us who have been transformed by Him, means that when we encounter people, people that are not, maybe not easy to get along with, people that we have disagreements with or disputes with, or people that we love just as we, we love our own family members, the people that we, we encounter, we have to recognize, and this is not easy to do, Especially like when somebody cuts you off in traffic. But we have to remember that when we look into someone's eyes, we're looking into the eyes of someone that Jesus died for. And imagine if we had that kind of mindset with, with everybody we dealt with. How would that change our relationship? Okay, now it might not completely change it because again, relationships are a two-way street and we understand that. But if we approached every relationship or every interaction as I'm interacting with someone that Jesus died for, I'm interacting with another image bearer, well, it might change the way that we approach a situation. You know what I'm saying? It might give us pause to consider how we handle a situation. Do we go in guns blazing or do we go in with with open hands and open heart, trying to seek reconciliation? Do we immediately stand opposed and against a person for whatever reason it might be? Or do we go in and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to hear you out. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. A true disciple keeps in mind what has been done for us. But not only what has been done for us, what has been done for others. Jesus closes this section out by saying, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, to be perfect, that's, I mean, that's, that's tough. Because when I first read that, it sounds like I have to be sinless. But we know that we're not sinless. 
because Jesus died, because we can't be perfect. So then what is Jesus talking about? When he says that we are to be perfect as the Father is perfect, what that means is that we are to be perfect and that we are to love in the same indiscriminate way that God loves all people. And that's not easy to do. Because we're people. Because we have disagreements. Because we have faults and we have flaws and we have different beliefs. Probably most of the people that you interact with are, are probably okay with the idea of God and, and church and, and Jesus, but you know that there's probably some people out there that are opposed to it. Okay, and it's easy to stand against and not love those people the way that we should. But here's the thing, even the people that hate God and curse His name and curse His church, God still loves those people the same way He loves you and me. He still loves those people as the, the little innocent child. And if we are to be perfect as God is perfect, that means we have to love the same way. It doesn't mean we condone or support or agree with everything that goes on in the world. But it does mean that no matter what, I have, I must, I must love those people. You know, you, you're familiar with the, the, the phrase, the separation of, of church and state. Well, I'm for the separation of church and hate. We must be the people of, of God, the people who, who love. And I think ultimately that's what Jesus is, is driving at here in this, this section of teaching. At the end of, uh, of verse 11, Jesus used the phrase that, that John York talked about a couple of weeks ago. He uses the phrase, because of me. You see, it's because of, of Jesus that we choose the path of righteousness. It's not a righteousness of our own. But it's because of Jesus that our righteousness must surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees who were externally focused. You see, when I was a kid, when I would read that verse, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees, I thought, I'll never be able to do that. I'll never be able to live better than the Pharisees. But then you realize what Jesus is talking about. Their righteousness was based on things that can, can be seen. Things that can, can be measured. And so that means that just because I, I, I go to a number of church services and I don't ever miss one, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm righteous. Just because I, I give my money to the ministry and to the work and the, to the kingdom of God does not necessarily mean that I am righteous. Just because I, I sing the songs or and pray the prayers just because I read my Bible doesn't necessarily mean that I'm righteous. Now those things are, are all fine and, and good. But Jesus is driving deeper. Jesus is, is aiming at the hearts of His people and it's these teachings of Jesus that cut straight through anything that can, can be feigned. 
All of this comes down to love for our, our fellow human beings. The way of Jesus is love, and we must not become the antithesis of that. Unfortunately, many people are. I know that I have found myself in that position before. Where I have acted the opposite of Jesus. Where my words have not reflected that I am a, a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Where my actions were not motivated because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. But they were motivated out of selfish ambition. Selfish gain, selfish want and, and, and desire, a need to always be right. There are times when, when, when my life, and I have to confess this before you, there are times that my life is the antithesis of Jesus. But that's not the way that I want to live. And that's not the way that Jesus calls us to live. He calls us to, to love people, to love one another. And so here's our, our, our growth point for the morning. True discipleship to Jesus requires us to focus on the attitude of the heart, which flows into a witness to the world, and it produces a life of righteousness that fulfills God's will for our life. And so as we leave from here and we go out back into a, a world that is full of darkness, is full of brokenness, is full of people in a living hell, if we go and we add to the darkness and we add to the brokenness and the pain and we go and we, we add to the living hell, then we're not living the way of Jesus. As a matter of fact, we then become the antithesis of, of Jesus. Our communion reading this morning. Isaiah is writing and he's, he's pointing ahead to Jesus and he's pointing out what, what Jesus is going to do, that he's, he's come to, to give sight to the blind. He's come to set captives free. He's come to give life and, and, and hope to those who, who need it. How many of us need life and hope? You see, and we're not a great number of us in here this morning. There's obviously more that make up our community than we have in here. And if we were to, to poll the audience this morning... And agree that probably most of us could use a, a, a touch of Jesus in our lives. How much greater would it be in our community? How much greater would that need be? And so again, as Jesus continues teaching through this, this, this sermon, He is raising the bar. He is raising our standard. That we must be mindful all the time. Just as we said last week, you don't, try to become salt and light, you are salt and light. Which means when we interact with people, we already are those things. 
which means that our discipleship, it doesn't have a clock. Does that make sense? It doesn't have a clock in, clock out. If we've named the name of Jesus, then we're always His disciples. And it means that when I encounter someone, especially when I'm having a rough day, it does not give me license to then explode on that person. It means that I then have to be reliant upon God. I have to be reliant upon the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. The only being that can help me in a moment of, of anger and frustration to, to manifest the fruits of love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or, or self-control. A true disciple is one that accesses and is dependent upon the Holy Spirit. A true disciple is, is so valuable to the kingdom of heaven because... A true disciple puts others first, always. And so the encouragement to us this morning is, is simply this, is that when we do leave from here and we do go back out into the, the world of brokenness, that opportunities will present themselves to us and we can approach them in one of two ways. We can approach them with the way of Jesus or we can approach them as the antithesis of Jesus. The opposite of how Jesus would act. And I pray that we will always, always, that we would always be Jesus to those that we come in contact with. Maybe you haven't been that this week. There have certainly been times when, when I haven't been. And you need to change. Maybe there's somebody you need to have a conversation with because of, of maybe a way you've treated them or actions or words that you said in a conversation that were maybe spoken out of anger. Maybe you need to go and sit down with that person and have a conversation and say, hey, look, let my tongue get away from me and let my words slip. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that because of choices they make or the way that they've lived their life, you know, you just sort of say, you know what? <laughs> Anything else to do with you? Maybe you've not been loving that, that person, that individual, the way that you should have. Pray. Ask God to, to change your heart. Ask Him to bring about reconciliation where reconciliation can be had. Or maybe you've not ever given your life to Jesus and you've been thinking about that. There's no better time than, than right now to confess Jesus as Lord and to, to identify with Jesus in baptism. To have your sins washed away and to be given that, that new life. Whatever need you might have or struggle you might be dealing with, you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to go away from here carrying it with you another day. So if we can be of any help, if we can pray for you or with you, if we can help to meet a spiritual need of any kind, if we can lead you into the waters of baptism with Jesus today, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?